An Overview of Standards in Biosafety and Bio-Risk By Rosehad Shah Link Post 4, Link in Post, this report represents, approximately, 40 hours of work by Rose Hadshar in summer 2023 for ARB Research, in turn for Holden Karnofsky in response to this call for proposals on standards. It's based on a mixture of background reading, research into individual standards, and interviews with experts. Note that I didn't ask for permission to cite the expert interviews publicly, so I've anonymized them. I suggest reading the scope and summary and skimming the overview, then only looking at sections which seem particularly relevant to you. Heading. Scope. This report covers. Both biosecurity and biosafety. Biosecurity. The protection, control and accountability for valuable biological materials, including information, in laboratories in order to prevent their unauthorized access, loss, theft, misuse, diversion or intentional release. Biosafety. The containment principles, technologies and practices that are implemented to prevent unintentional exposure to pathogens and toxins or their accidental release. Biosecurity and biosafety standards internationally, but with much more emphasis on the US. Regulations and guidance as well as standards proper. I am using these terms as follows. Regulations. Rules on how to comply with a particular law or laws. Legally binding. Guidance. Rules on how to comply with particular regulations. Not legally binding, but risky to ignore. Standards. Rules which do not relate to compliance with a particular law or laws. Not legally binding. Note that I also sometimes use standards as an umbrella term for regulations, guidance and standards. That's the end of that list. Heading. Summary of most interesting findings. For each point. I've included my confidence in the claim, operationalized as the probability that I would still believe the claim after 40 hours, more work. I link to a subsection with more details, though in some cases I don't have much more to say. That's the end of that list. Heading. The origins of bio-standards. Here's a list of bullet points. 80%. There were many different motivations behind bio-standards, for example plant health, animal health, worker protection, bioterrorism, fair sharing of genetic resources. 70%. Standards were significantly reactive to rather than proactive about incidents, for example lab accidents, terrorist attacks, and epidemics, though. There are exceptions, for example the NIH guidelines on recombinant DNA. Guidance is often more proactive than standards, for example gene drives. 80%. International standards weren't always later or less influential than national ones. 70%. Voluntary standards seem to have prevented regulation in at least one case, for example the NIH guidelines. 65%. In the US, it may be more likely that mandatory standards are passed on matters of national security, for example FSAP. That's the end of that list. Heading. Compliance. Here's a list of bullet points. 60%. Voluntary compliance may sometimes be higher than mandated compliance, for example NIH guidelines. 70%. Motives for voluntarily following standards include responsibility, market access, and the spread of norms via international training. 80%. Voluntary standards may be easier to internationalize than regulation. 90%. 
deliberate efforts were made to increase compliance internationally, for example via funding biosafety associations, offering training and other assistance. That's the end of that list. Heading. Problems with these standards. Here's a list of bullet points. 90%. Bio standards are often list-based. This means that they are not comprehensive, do not reflect new threats, prevent innovation in risk management, and fail to recognize the importance of context for risk. There's been a partial move away from prescriptive, list-based standards towards holistic, risk-based standards, for example ISO 35001. 85%. Bio standards tend to lack reporting standards, so it's very hard to tell how effective they are. 60%. Standards may have impeded safety work in some areas, for example select agent designation as a barrier to developing mitigation measures. 75%. Those implementing standards aren't always sufficiently high-powered. 75%. Researchers view standards as a barrier to research. 90%. The evidence base for bio-standards is poor. 95%. In the US, there is no single body or legislation responsible for bio-standards in general. Some countries have moved towards a centralized approach, for example Canada, China. 95%. Many standards are voluntary rather than legally mandated, for example BMBL. In the US, legal requirements to meet certain standards are a First Amendment issue. 75%. There is sometimes a conflict of interest where the same body is responsible for funding research and for assessing its safety. That's the end of that list. Heading. Overview of standards in biosafety and bio-risk. Subheading. Background. There are a lot of different biosafety and bio-risk standards, but at a very high level. What bad things are these standards trying to prevent? Biosafety standards are generally trying to protect the safety of lab staff and prevent accidental release. Biosecurity standards are generally trying to prevent state or non-state development of bioweapons. Other motivations also come up, for example plant health, animal health, fair sharing of genetic resources. What activities do these standards cover? Who conducts biological research in labs, on what, and how? the storage, ownership, sale and transportation of biological agents. Do these standards cover all actors undertaking those activities? Laws generally cover all actors undertaking the activities. Standards are generally voluntary, though some funding bodies make compliance with standards a mandatory condition of funding. That's the end of that list. Heading. The main standards in biosafety and biorisk. Internationally. The Biological Weapons Convention, BWC, 1972, prohibits the development of bioweapons. The Australia Group, 1985, sets standards for the international sale of dual-use equipment and transport of pathogens. The WHO Laboratory Safety Manual, LBM, 1983, is a voluntary biosafety standard. There is also more recent WHO guidance on biosecurity. The ISO 35001, 2019, is a voluntary standard for biosafety and biosecurity, though it's not clear that there's much adoption according to a bio-risk expert involved in setting this standard up, and the standard is expensive to access. That's the end of that list. In the US. The main things are. The Biosafety in Microbiological and Biomedical Laboratories, BMBL, 1984, which is a voluntary standard for laboratory biosafety. 
the select agent regulations, which are mandatory regulations with a statutory basis, and govern who can use particularly dangerous agents and how. The NIH Guidelines for Research Involving Recombinant DNA Molecules, 1976, are noteworthy for being among the first voluntary standards, though they aren't very significant today. There is also more recent voluntary guidance on DNA Synthesis Screening, Screening Framework Guidance for Providers of Synthetic Double-Stranded DNA, 2010. Dual-Use Research of Concern, Policy for Oversight of Life Sciences Dual-Use Research of Concern, 2012 and Policy for Institutional Oversight of Dual-Use Research of Concern, 2014. GOF Research, P3CO, 2017. Also note that there are two bills currently under consideration, see here for a brief introduction. Securing Gene Synthesis Act. Artificial Intelligence and Biosecurity Risk Assessment Act. That's the end of that list. Other countries. Here's a list of bullet points. China and Russia were both quite slow to develop biosafety standards. The first biosafety regulations in Russia were in 1993. China's first regulations on biosafety in particular were in the early 2000s. There's been a move towards overarching biosafety and biosecurity acts which give legislative footing to standards. Canada, 2009, and China, 2020, both have this. Canada has one of the best systems in the world, according to a bio-risk expert I spoke with. That's the end of that list. The tables below go into more detail. For a full timeline of biosafety and biosecurity standards, see here. Heading. International Standards. There's an image here in the post. Heading. U.S. Standards. There's an image here in the post. Heading. Notable Standards in Other Countries. There's an image here in the post. Heading. The Origins of Biosafety and Biosecurity Standards. Questions from Holden's call this section relates to. What's the history of the standard? How did it get started? How did we get from the beginnings to where we are today? If a standard aims to reduce risks, to what extent did the standard get out ahead of or prevent risks, as opposed to being developed after relevant problems had already happened? Was there any influence of early voluntary standards on later government regulation? That's the end of that list. Heading. There were many different motivations behind biostandards. At a high level. Biosafety standards are generally trying to protect the safety of lab staff and prevent accidental release. Biosecurity standards are generally trying to prevent state or non-state development of bioweapons. That's the end of that list. But other motivations have also led to standards with a bearing on biological research. For example, Worker safety in the U.S., the Occupational Safety and Health Act, OSHA, of 1970 was motivated by worker safety in general, but some of its provisions were relevant to biological research. Plant Protection One of the earliest relevant standard-setting organizations was the International Plant Protection Convention, IPPC, founded in 1951. Some of their standards impact biological research involving plants. Animal Health the World Organization for Animal Health, OIE, set standards relating to animal health and zoonoses as well as animal welfare, animal production, and food safety. Fair sharing of genetic resources. 
the Nagoya Protocol on Access to Genetic Resources, and the fair and equitable sharing of benefits arising from their utilization to the Convention on Biological Diversity of 2011 was not motivated by concerns about biosafety or biosecurity, but its provisions imply full traceability on the access and use of some biological materials, genetic resources. That's the end of that list. Heading. Standards were significantly reactive rather than proactive. Standards have been significantly reactive to Lab accidents I haven't found evidence of lab accidents being a direct cause of particular biosafety standards, but it is the case that both harm to workers and accidental release from labs were happening before standards were introduced, so the standards were not preemptive. Terrorist attacks, in the case of biosecurity in the US, the select agent regulations were first established via the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act, 1996. The act overall was in significant part a reaction to the Oklahoma City bombing of 1995. The select agent provisions in particular were in part a response to another incident in 1995, where white supremacist Larry Wayne Harris successfully ordered Yersinia Pestis by mail. 9-11 and Amerithrax prompted the Patriot Act, 2001, and the Bioterrorism Act, 2002, which led to the establishment of FSAP in its current form in 2003. Epidemics The SARS outbreak 2002-2005, and the perceived inadequacy of the WHO response may have sped up the revision of the IHR in 2005 and influenced the revisions themselves. SARS is cited as an important motivation for Chinese biosafety regulations. That's the end of that list. However, there are exceptions, where standards were developed in anticipation of potential risks. The most notable example is the NIH guidelines for research involving recombinant DNA molecules, which were developed in anticipation of low-probability extreme risks. Guidance is often more proactive than standards. For example, there was guidance on gene drives before they were successfully built, but there still aren't standards according to one bio-risk expert. That's the end of that list. Heading. International standards weren't always later or less influential than national ones. Here's a list of bullet points. The WHO LBM, 1983, was published a year before the USBMBL, 1984. There are examples of international standards prompting informing national ones. The US Select Agent List was based on the Australia Group List. One motivation behind China's biosafety legislation has been compliance with the international treaties it is member to. There is competition between the WHO LBM and the BMBL. According to one bio-risk expert I spoke with, this increases the risk of confusion and gaps, and happened because the US rushed ahead of the rest of the world, who weren't willing or able to follow. According to two bio-risk experts I spoke with, it's useful to have international standards as some countries will never adopt US standards on principle. That's the end of that list. Heading. Voluntary standards seem to have prevented regulation in at least one case. The NIH guidelines were widely seen by critics and proponents as preventing future regulation, and this was one of the key motivations of the scientists who organized the research pause and asylumar. Heading. In the US, it may be more likely that mandatory standards are passed on matters of national security. Most bio-related standards are voluntary in the US, with the exception of FSAP. According to an expert in standards I spoke with, 
one of the reasons this was practicable was that there's federal authority over national security. Heading. Compliance. Question from Holden's call this section relates to what sorts of companies and how many or what percentage of relevant companies comply with what standards and what are the major reasons they do so. Heading. Voluntary compliance may sometimes be higher than mandated compliance. In the case of the NIH guidelines, compliance may have been higher among commercial companies who complied voluntarily than among NIH-funded bodies who were mandated to comply as a condition of their funding. Here's a list of bullet points. Paul Berg, one of the organizers of Asilomar, believed this was the case. Commercial companies likely had access to more resources and were more concerned by liability than academic counterparts. That's the end of that list. Heading. Motives for voluntarily following standards include responsibility, market access, and the spread of norms via international training. I formed this impression from talking with a bio-risk expert and a biologist involved in setting up the Asilomar conference. Heading. Voluntary standards may be easier to internationalize than regulation. Countries' legal systems differ, and law is often slow and costly to enact. But voluntary standards can be adopted more quickly. Examples of voluntary standards being adopted internationally. The WHO LBM is used internationally. To my knowledge, there are no equivalent internationally adopted laws on lab biosafety. The USBMBL, Canadian Biosafety Standard, CBS, and AU, NZ standards are also all used internationally. Recombinant DNA. The 1974 voluntary pause on recombinant DNA research pause was observed internationally. Scientists from all over the world were invited to Asilomar in 1975. According to one of the conference organizers, those people went back to their countries and helped set up regulatory regimes which were consistent with the Asilomar recommendations. The conference organizer believes that no countries deviated from these recommendations apart from Russia as part of their bioweapons program. That's the end of that list. Heading. Deliberate efforts were made to increase compliance internationally. According to a bio-risk expert I spoke with, part of why biosafety compliance is high internationally is that a lot of funding was put into building regional and national biosafety associations. This expert says that the motivation for this was non-proliferation of dangerous biological agents. Examples of deliberate efforts to increase compliance. According to the same expert, Trevor Smith at Global Affairs Canada and the USDOD and State Department have provided a lot of funding for regional biosafety associations. The Canadian Association for Biological Safety assisted Russia to train instructors for biosafety programs in 2008. Canada has also been involved in other assistance with improving Russian standards and in translating US and WHO biosafety guidelines into Russian. That's the end of that list. Heading. Problems with biosafety and biosecurity standards. Question from Holden's call for proposals which this section relates to. Does the standard currently seem to achieve its intended purpose? To the extent it seeks to reduce risks, is there a case that it's done so? Heading. Biostandards are often list-based. Many biostandards are based on lists of agents to which different standards of safety and security apply. There are a number of possible problems with this approach. Lists aren't comprehensive. Lists don't automatically cover emerging threats. 
according to a bio-risk expert I spoke with, the ability to make new structures, especially in future with AI, makes list-based approaches particularly inappropriate for biological research. List-based approaches tend towards tick-box exercises and may mitigate against careful thinking and innovation in risk management. According to a bio-risk expert I spoke with, list-based approaches often impose standards independently of context, when scientists know that there's a big difference in risk, depending on where and how the research is conducted. That's the end of that list. There's been a partial move away from prescriptive, list-based standards towards holistic, risk-based standards. The ISO 35001 is an example of this. Heading. Biostandards tend to lack reporting standards, so it's very hard to tell how effective they are. Here's a list of bullet points. Biorisk expert. My main hot take is a lot of this field is flying, approximately, blind due to the absence of any outcome data. For example how many incidents per X lab year or equivalent. The main push I advocate for is reporting standards rather than guessing what may or may not help, then having little steer post-implementation whether you've moved the needle. Palmer et al., 2015. Criticizes underdeveloped metrics. Farquhar et al. calls for centrally commissioned absolute risk assessments. That's the end of that list. Heading. Standards may have impeded safety work in some areas. For example, some scientists have argued that in the U.S., Select agent designation creates a barrier to developing mitigation measures. Heading. Those implementing standards aren't always sufficiently high-powered. Here's a list of bullet points. According to a bio-risk expert, biosafety isn't sufficiently integrated with senior management. This expert was involved in setting up the ISO standard, and says that one of the aims of the ISO standard is to address this. According to a bio-risk expert I spoke with, Biosafety compliance in the US defaults to something list-based even though the standards themselves are risk-based, because the inspection workforce isn't sophisticated enough for a more consultative approach as in the UK or Canada. That's the end of that list. Heading. Researchers view standards as a barrier to research. Here's a list of bullet points. According to a bio-risk expert. They also note that currently biosafety isn't a technical field in its own right where you can publish papers and make spin-off companies. That's the end of that list. Heading. The evidence base for biostandards is poor. According to a bio-risk expert, there often isn't good evidence that a particular standard is risk-reducing. This seems like a somewhat structural problem, related to the fact that standards tend to lack reporting standards. It being hard to test low-probability extreme risks experimentally. That's the end of that list. Heading. In the US, there is no single body or legislation responsible for biostandards in general. According to a US bio-risk expert I spoke with, this leads to gaps in what's regulated and a lack of leadership. Some countries have moved towards a centralized approach, for example Canada, Human Pathogen and Toxins Act 2009 and China, Biosafety of Biosecurity Law 2020. Heading. Many standards are voluntary rather than legally mandated. Examples. Internationally. The WHO LBM, the Australia Group Export Controls, ISO 35001. In the US. The NIH Guidelines on Recombinant DNA, the BMBL, PC30. That's the end of that list. The upshot of this is that it's perfectly legal for example for a rich person in the US to build pathogenic flu in their basement, as long as it's for peaceful purposes, 
Heading. There is sometimes a conflict of interest where the same body is responsible for funding research and for assessing its safety. Examples. The NIH Guidelines on Recombinant DNA 1976, issued by NIH and applied to NIH fundees. Policy for Oversight of Life Sciences Dual Use Research of Concern 2012, issued by HHS and applied to HHS fundees. Policy for Institutional Oversight of Dual Use Research of Concern 2014, issued by HHS and applied to HHS fundees. Framework for Guiding Funding Decisions about Proposed Research Involving Enhanced Potential Pandemic Pathogens, P3CO. 2017, issued by HHS and applied to HHS fundees. That's the end of that list. Heading. Questions this report doesn't address. Holden's call for proposal lists a series of questions which is interested in answers to. This report gives partial answers to some of those questions above and doesn't address the following questions at all. How is the standard implemented today? Who writes it and revises it and what does that process look like? How involved are our activists and advocates, people who are explicitly focused on public benefit rather than profits in setting standards? How involved are companies? How involved are people with reputations for neutrality? Are there audits required to meet a standard? If so, who does the audits, and how do they avoid being gained? How much access do they get to the companies they're auditing? How good are the audits? How do we know? What other measures are taken to avoid standards being gained and ensure that whatever risks they're meant to protect against are in fact protected against? How costly and difficult is it to comply with the standards? What happens if a company stops complying? That's the end of that list. Heading. Very, select bibliography. I haven't made a proper bibliography. This bio-risk standards timeline contains information on all of the standards mentioned in this report, with quotes and links. I'd recommend it as a reference. Some useful background articles. Connell, Biologic Agents in the Laboratory, The Regulatory Issues, Federation of American Scientists, 2011. Salerno and Gordioso, Introduction. The Case for Bio-Risk Management, in Salerno and Gordioso, EDS, Laboratory Bio-Risk Management. Biosafety and Biosecurity, 2015. Beekman and Rudelsheim, Biosafety and Biosecurity in Containment. A Regulatory Overview, Frontiers in Bioengineering and Biotechnology, 2020. That's the end of that list. This article was narrated by Type 3 Audio for the Effective Altruism Forum. It was first published on July 26, 2023. The original text contained 23 footnotes which were omitted from the narration. To report an issue or give feedback on this narration, go to t3a.is.